Go ahead, Bill. Yes, hello, hello. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm mm -hmm. glad on your show today, Antonio, and um, and I'm glad that you invited me. Um, so I'm 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 grateful for that, and hopefully, looking forward to this conversation and seeing what we get into. I'll tell you a little bit about my background. Um, my name is Bill Myers, and uh, I'm originally from Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, I was, uh, I, I'm biracial. My mother is originally from Arkansas and she is Caucasian or white. Uh, my father is from Indianapolis, Indiana, and he is black and he has served as a police officer um, in Indianapolis for 54 years. He just retired a few years ago after 54 years of service. And, um, so as, uh, so, you know, that's, that's my sort of, uh, 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 you know, uh, my upbringing, uh, I, I grew up in Indianapolis, went to the public school system, and um, I had a strong desire to, to, uh, to get into music uh, that hit me at about, I don't know, I was about six years old. And so I got, uh, I, was, I was heavily involved in music and I did pursue music, not without its challenges, um, but I did uh, prevail and, and pursue music, which then led me to, ironically, playing in a pit orchestra in high school, which then led me into uh, a desire to get on to the stage, I was playing for the, the high school musical and I looked up there and I said, you know, I think I can do that. And so I got up on the stage. The very next year, I was the lead in the musical. And that opened up about a 15-year journey as a professional actor, which took me uh, to Chicago, to New York. I performed in a number of Broadway shows and uh, wound up on one of the television soap operas, uh, Loving on ABC. And uh, from there, then I started touring with some theatrical companies, did a couple of films also. And um, that led me to a meeting with the legendary keyboardist, the known as the fifth Beatle to many, uh, Mr. Billy Preston. And I met him in Aruba. And from there, uh, I wound up uh, taking on a position to um, be a part of his production company in California. And I was there until I got word from Indianapolis that my grandfather uh, was ill and uh, knew that it was time for me to get back to Indianapolis uh, and spend some time with him because he was one of the great encouragers, my, my mentor, if you will, and sort of the wind beneath my wings is the way I like to refer to that. And uh, so I did get back to Indianapolis and I was able to spend the last couple of years of his life with him and um, until he passed away. And then I became sort of knew that my, uh, my, that I needed to stay in Indianapolis because at that point, then my grandmother who was still alive was, was, you know, alone. And, and uh, you know, and so, you know, just the challenges of life, you know, all of a sudden you, you go through this process, this, uh, this period where the, the uh, the children become the caretakers, you know, and I'm still involved with that. My mother, I have been her caretaker for the last 10 years, um, and she has a um, dementia. And, um, and that has been a huge blessing. That has been a huge blessing to be able to be there for my mom. And, uh, and my dad uh, also has got a dementia issue going on, uh, considerably different. I mean, I think that you know, once you look into that, you know, uh, that area of, of dementia and, and whatnot, there's like 200 or so different ways that that manifests in folks. So my dad's situation is considerably different than my mom's. But again, it's just a huge blessing to be back in the community and to be able to bring back my um, experiences uh, that I had uh, afar and, and um, expertise, if you will. And so I've been involved in teaching and um, some uh, leadership in uh, some different civic organizations. Um, 
I'm a member of the uh, uh, Optimist International. I am an optimist by nature. Uh, I, um, I am a believer in, in the possibilities of things that at one moment may seem impossible. Uh, I, I believe that there are many things that were impossible at one time or another became possible. So I am a believer in, uh, in that way. I'm a believer in other ways also. I studied religions and I am an ordained minister as of 2012. And so, you know, there are a number of things. So I, I just think it's so important to be to make yourself available to be in service to others. I find that to be the most gratifying thing. And that was something that also happened when you are, when I was performing as an entertainer and in entertainment, I was, I was always very clear that my job, it wasn't about me, it was about the audience. And it was about being able to touch them, reach them, um, connect with them, um, whether you're playing music or whether you're an actor, I just think it's so very important to be able to um, connect with other individuals that inhabit this planet, you know, and uh, in meaningful ways where we can uh, grow together and uh, inspire one another. Um, I also, in the last year, uh, began, began hosting my own podcast, um, and it is called Bill Myers Inspires. And, uh, and that's what I hope I do. I'm, I, my mantra in life is wrapped around three terms, which is um, compassion, connection, and creativity. And uh, when those three things are present, so am I. Um, so that is my sort of gauge in life for me to know whether I'm in the right place or the wrong place. When those, th when those three things are present, then I know I am where I'm supposed to be. So that's just kind of an overview. And um, Bill Myers Inspires um, uh, came about um, when the pandemic hit, I found myself, um, you know, out of work, uh, you know, many of the things performing and public speaking and everything that I do involves groups of people, uh, gatherings of groups of people. And uh, that all got shut down for a year and is still barely crawling back. Um, good news today, um, I saw the CDC lifted the guide, uh, the, the guidelines as far as uh, uh, wearing masks. So that's encouraging that we'll be able to begin gathering uh, once again. But during that downtime, I had an opportunity to do a considerable amount of soul searching, which initially was prompted by the loss of work and uh, the thought of how in the world am I going to be able to continue to be effective in uh, caring for my mom? Because a good uh, bit of her support and financial needs was I was supplying. Um, and so in the midst of that soul searching process, um, I realized that there was a to-do list uh, that I had and it had been tabled uh, about 10 years before when I began uh, uh, as the caretaker for her, um, I had to stop many, many of the things that I, my plans and things that I wanted to do because now she became my priority. But during this downtime, I'm looking at this to-do list and I don't have anywhere to be. And, uh, and, and I felt that this uh, soul search period was actually very productive and very beneficial for me. Um, and I realized that, that uh, a podcast, I was on doing considerable amount of public speaking um, 10 years ago. And uh, so a podcast was my next move. And then of course I became caretaker and everything got set aside, but now I have nothing but time on my hands. I have nowhere to be. And um, I must find a way to continue to connect with others, even in the midst of lockdown and isolations. And uh, then, so I started investigating podcasts again. And, and then the George Floyd scenario hit. And um, that was the tipping point for me because I knew that now was absolutely the time for me to engage in the conversation that the nation was grappling with, which was the social injustice issues, um, 
um, particularly racism in America, um, the, of course, the pandemic and the effects of that, and of course, the political division and all the uh, craziness going on with then our, our leader and occupant of the White House um, was very troubling. And I've certainly felt that there was something that I could contribute positively to that conversation. And so I began my podcast, Bill Myers Inspires, and it, it's been a huge blessing. I've managed to have a number of uh, really, really wonderful guests. Uh, I've had uh, the benefit of, of interviewing Macy Gray, um, um, U.S. Congressman Andre Carson, um, Mayor of Ithaca, New York, Svante Myrick, who's doing a really remarkable thing with regards to revisioning uh, uh, the police department there. And uh, that's very exciting. And I hope that he's on to something uh, more positive and, and that will serve the community uh, better. And uh, hopefully it will become a model that we can all across the nation adopt or, or at least look at and consider new ways of seeing uh, a police department because he's basically scrapping the entire old model, right? And, um, and starting from scratch. And I think that that's very exciting. Again, I'm a big fan of the creative process and, and I think that, um, that he's onto something. So that's been really, really wonderful. Um, jazz singer, Nina Freelon, um, amazing jazz vocalist. She's got a new recording uh, coming out, um, Time Traveler. And it's dedicated to her husband because about three years ago or so, she lost her husband um, to ALS, and he was a very, very famous uh, architect and um, was um, one of the main architects of the Smithsonian Institute's African-American Museum. And uh, he, he was, uh, they reside in uh, Durham, North Carolina. And so she was very, um, uh, grief stricken with the passing of her husband. Um, and, uh, so she has just emerged back into the public sphere with her new recording time traveler. And so it was a blessing to be able to speak to her and to, uh, see her perspective as she reemerges as the new, the new, uh, improved version of herself. So that's, that's, that's huge. So, it's again and, and a number of um, other guests and 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 very um, uh, pointed and 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 enlightening conversations with regards to social justice and different looks at at racism in America. And uh, again, I'm determined to open up uh, the difficult conversations so that we can. Uh, perhaps have an opportunity to hear things and, and, and educate ourselves on many things that we were not aware of and that were not taught in our history class, but is history nonetheless. And um, it should be known uh, a lot of this information out there that we were not privy to in the uh, education systems that we all in America grew up in. And uh, so um, uncovering new information and, uh, it's, it's very inspiring also. So, uh, you know, that's, that's enough about me. <laughs> that's a good starting place. Um, but yeah, that's what I've been up to. And I'm an Emmy award-winning actor. I guess I should say that, uh, I've been accused of, of downplaying my credentials sometimes. And so I want to make sure that that's out there. And, um, and that again is, is um, is a blessing also. Wow, I am just monumentally impressed by you. Um, I like the highlight that I can say in a synopsis of you is that you are a flexibility and you have a range of giftedness that makes you 
excellent in more than one arena of life. And I appreciate that you were able to um, venture into another gift that you have, which is podcasting, how you're a caretaker, you're innovative, you have a global consciousness, you have an awareness for uh, compassionate conduct towards humanity, and you're able to um, use your your belief system and and values to uh, cultivate a uh, cultures of empathy and cultures of um, peacefulness and tranquility. So I am very much glad to be uh, interacting with you right now. Well, I thank you again for the invitation to be here and, um, uh, I, I knew there was something, uh, some reason for me to be here beyond the fact that both of our last names is Myers, spelled <laughs> M-Y-E-R-S, not M-A-Y-E-R as an Oscar Meyer, not M-E-Y-E-R. We couldn't afford that extra E. I don't know about yours, but we couldn't afford it. So <laughs> we had to go with, with uh, M-Y-E-R-S. So, so, uh, so Antonio, where are you? Uh, from because I do want to explore that uh, possible connection. It may exist, it may not, but it's. I, I mean, I have so many children in my family, and the men tended to have more than one uh, child's mother. So we might be relatives, um, but I'm from Washington, D.C. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. My, uh, I, I, well, I, I know at least as far as. I've been able to find out that my my grandfather, who I spoke of earlier, who I dearly loved, he was actually born in uh, Greenville, South Carolina. Oh. And, and I know that his father uh, was from Bridgetown, Barbados. So that connection, um, at least as far as my Myers trail that I know of, as far as name, um, that's the path that I know. And, and so he moved as a child from my grandfather moved as a child from uh, Greenville, South Carolina to Indianapolis. And uh, and that's where he remained. So uh, but, yeah, it's pretty exciting stuff when you start to dig back into your, you know, uh, lineage and learn things. Uh, one little bit I'll, I'll share with you that uh, along those lines was that my my. Uh, great grandmother, my grandfather's mother, who had the benefit of knowing as a small child. I remember that she, she said very little. Um, and she was very, she was very old and, but she had old ways. Um, she would be out in the, in the front yard, you know, with her cane and her, her little wobble and everything else. And she would be bending over and picking up you know, like weeds in the yard is what it appeared to me. And I just always thought that was strange because everybody else is, you know, cutting their grass and putting down weed killer and whatnot. And she's out there picking these things up. And then she would go in the house and wind up cooking these things on the stove. And you're wondering what in the world is she, she doing? Well, she was creating salves and all kind of other stuff that like sort of, you know, but, but one time I remember her sharing and again, we we're, I don't know, three, four, five years old or something. And she mentioned that her, um, her teachers in school were Booker T. Washington and George Washington Carver. Wow. Now at the time as a child, I didn't know what in the heck she was talking about because, it, you know, booger T Washington, you know what I mean? You just sort of laugh at it. It's a booger. It's, you know, whatever. And th- so it was, it was <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I don't know these strange names, you know? And right. so, so it was several years later that I was in grade school and I recall a teacher talking about Tuskegee 
Mm-hmm. Happened to mention mm-hmm. Booker T. Washington and George Washington Carver. And man, my hand shot up. And the teacher said, Yes, William. And I said, those were my, my grand, my great grandmother's teachers. That was the first time I had made the connection of this obscure information that she told me that made no sense. Suddenly that piece of the puzzle fell into place. And then I realized how important that bit of information that she dropped on me that, you know, cause again, at that particular point in my life, the only names I knew was, you know, Superman and Batman and, <laughs> you know, mom, dad, I mean, you know, your whole world is wrapped up in cartoons and, and uh, you know, GI Joes and all that. So, you know, Booker T, what, you know, that's not a GI Joe, so it's not cool, you know? So I didn't know it was cool <laughs> until later, you know? But found those things to be true and that she was actually first generation free. Wow. And so that's, you know, and it's so interesting, too, when you think about slavery. And then I think about how close that really is, that if she was first generation free, and I knew her that it was only one step away from me knowing an enslaved family member. Oh, my. Isn't that bizarre? I mean, I'm 55 years old. So, I mean, really, if we look at it, you know, uh, slavery's over about, what, 150 years ago. So I'm a third of it. So you just start marching back another 50, another 50. That's kind of what you're looking at, you know. And it's like, wow, it's closer than you think. Uh, and uh, and certainly our attitudes and mindset again you know you you hear people reference this and again i'm getting into the sort of the the topic of slavery or 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 the social uh justice issues that we're facing today in this rhetoric and stuff it's like uh man you know you can change those laws but we did not change the mindset And I'm not really sure that the the laws that we have changed have been effective at all, because at the end of the day, if you really look at the original intent of a constitution written by 55 wealthy white male landowners, that that document and all that it was intended to do is just as valid in its original form, it is maintained and continued to do the very thing it was intended to do. Women have been able to vote for, you know, since 1920 and are still trying to achieve some sort of equality to men as far as salary and value and whatnot, still haven't achieved it. They're still, they still possess and have a second-class citizenry in spite of the laws. Um, 1965 voting rights and civil rights and all that stuff to, you know, to, to help, uh, black people, you know, uh, make it legal for them to vote and make it the law. We're still messing around with those things. So, and I said, 55 wealthy white men. And today you, you recognize that the wealth gap in America is the greatest that it's ever been in the history of this nation. So I would say that that agenda that was set forth then is still in play today. Um, And uh, I don't think that's a good thing because even though we can look at marginal advancements, I think all of those laws, civil rights laws, voting rights, all these things, all these measures to try to correct that were nothing more than Band-Aids on a chest wound. and have not ultimately been effective. Now, we have seen, and one would argue that we see some sort of progress in in black people as far as being able to hold positions and things like that. Well, yeah, that would give you the appearance of some sort of progress. But in fact, the progress measure is really not about a figurehead or tokenization. And and I I don't say that to diminish Oprah, Kamala Harris, Barack Obama. So, I mean, I'm not I'm not at all 
I mean, that's great pride that I say each one of those names, you know, I mean, great pride. But at the end of the day, that slice of the pie, which is where the power is, no, hasn't happened. Um, you have, um, what was it? I did a, did a, a little research and found out Jeff, Jeff Bezos was, uh, you know, just go to Google and type in wealthiest American, you know, and, you know, I got a list and Jeff Bezos is about $180 billion. Then I look up and ask, you know, uh, who's the wealthiest, you know, uh, black, uh, blacks in America. And top two names pop up, you know, uh, and it's folks, uh, someone from Nigeria, some name you, you would not know, I wouldn't know. Uh, and, uh, but about 18 billion, that's 10%. That's a 10th. So uh, Oprah Winfrey was, a, you know, down at about, you know, th- three or four billion dollars. Was, she was number three or four or something on that list. So, you know, when you look at that 180, you know, it, it, it's insane. Um, so the, the I, I think Martin Luther King was on to it. Um, he stated that, you know, as much as he could segregate, you know, or desegregate lunch counters and sitting at the back of the bus and all that, um, I don't think he really zeroed in on the heart of the problem until the latter part of his very short 15 year public persona, only 15 years. He was about 24 during the bus boycotts when he emerged as a national figure and, and he was killed at 39. So, but he zeroed in on it at the end and that was about wealth. Uh, that was about wealth. Um, he was in Memphis with the sanitation workers strike and he was a part of, you know, leading the poor people's campaign. And that's when they shot him. So I find it very interesting that once he zeroed in on the real problem, because you do realize that if the black person over here has as much money as the white person over there, the narrative about lazy or you are less than me, all those things go away. (laughs) I got as much money as you, you know, so when you look at it pound for pound, all those narratives just are weakened. You know, I can send my kid to any school I like. Um, I can afford anything you can afford. That makes a huge difference, you know, uh, because that whole narrative has been linked to poverty and laziness. And you're only lazy once you are free, but you are hugely valuable when you're property. You know, so yeah, it's, it's a very strange thing. So anyway, I digress, (laughs) but these are the conversations I'm conducting in my podcast and learning from people who have spent a lot more, you know, many, many years in deep study in very specific areas of this. And I keep coming up with the, the same end result, uh, no matter what institution, no matter what angle no matter which way you twist your head to look at this thing this thing is 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 uh is very very problematic and and can't i don't believe uh we, we talk about institutional racism and uh, i've been trying to come up with an effective uh metaphor or analogy to explain this and so let me run this by you and 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 see if it works and you can be honest with me so if we were to look at the Constitution, which is the foundation of this country and all its laws and its, its belief system and everything is, is directly attached to the Constitution. If we could imagine that the Constitution in and of itself is a, is a cake, it's a cake that was made. Now, if we could envision that all of the institutions, whether it be um, financial institutions, housing, education, you know, healthcare, uh, uh, home ownership, I'm, I'm, you know, you name it. Uh, um, all of the different institutions are separate slices 
of that cake. Um, and so then you eat the cake or you, you know, have a slice. And so I'm into policing or something. So I, I'm, I'm eating this and I go, oh, something's wrong here. So I reach for the whipped cream. I reach for the sprinkles. I reach for the chocolate syrup, the, you know, um, and no matter what I do, this thing tastes bad. So those are all temporary fixes, but it doesn't solve it. It doesn't solve it. That the, the bad taste is still there. And so no matter what institution you're looking at, we, we, we have identified institutional or systemic racism in each one of these. That's the bad taste. That's the bad taste. But the bad taste, remember, if that constitution is the cake, it was intended. It was intended to be a bad taste. What we start to find out is that that cake itself, the entire cake was made with rotten eggs. So it, you're trying to fix or find a way to extract rotten eggs from an already baked cake. So you cannot do it. You must, you must throw this cake out and build a new cake. That's the only solution. So I think all of our efforts as far as trying to identify systemic racism or to root it out, I actually think is somewhat futile and will not work. That's not because I'm, I'm a naysayer. It's because the foundation was cracked and broken at the beginning. So all these things that were built on and are derivative of that document, that mindset that went into that, you know, um, are going to be present and they cannot be stamped out. No, you know, so you can write laws and laws, more laws, more laws. But the, but the test of all the laws is, is it constitutional? <laughs> Meaning, does it fall within the guidelines of this rotten cake? If it doesn't, then they'll call it unconstitutional. My argument is the constitution itself is rotten. And the, it was, again, constructed by 55 wealthy, white, slave-holding landowners. And so the bias and everything else exists in there. And that was the control, the rule. Um, you know, how many political terms and seasons were they going to improve education? How many political terms and seasons were going to get rid of the lobby in Washington, D.C.? You can't. It's all about the money. And the money people are the ones benefiting. Again, why do we have the largest wealth gap in the nation's history? Um, you know, I was looking at some, some facts during the pandemic. I mean, you know, during the, the real heart of that, when everything truly was shut down. And I saw a report that during that period of, you know, three months or something, of at least at that time, I think it was Jeff Bezos or somebody made like 600. What I want to say 600 billion dollars or something like that. While everybody else is like out, you know what I mean? It doesn't make any sense. You're making grotesque money while no one's making money. How's that work? I'm not blaming it on Mr. Bezos. I'm blaming it on a system. Um, that is uh, biased in the wrong, many of the wrong ways. Um, so anyway, back to you, sir. <laughs> well, I, uh, I, I agreed with every point that you made because we like to scapegoat. We like shined up imagery and none of that truly confronts the most impactful problem or the most impactful problematic source. And I like the point you made about, yes, we've had um, historical feats in our community. We've produced the Kamala's and Obama's that have been great, but I think that um, 
there has been too much dependency on the commas and the Obamas, and if they can't um, completely eradicate the wealth and economic disparities, then a lot of our community blames them, but they're only people. They're not superhuman. And right. Then I like the point you made about the cake because it really doesn't tackle people's hearts because legislation doesn't mean heart transformation. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think about how we have to do the village thing. If we could bring the village back, but not make it just a black village, a human village. It is about the human village. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Because if we can do that, then if I can change a person's attitude, I'm not so I'm not excessively dependent on lawmakers because we're truly doing the groundwork of a person's soul. That's where we have to start. Right. Right. And we started again. So 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 to be clear, you 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 know, I the idea of yeah, it can't be a black village. It's not about you see, this is not about black or white. This is about humanity. Okay, so we're a nation of immigrants, <laughs> right. um, willing and unwilling, um, and and so on. So, but the idea um, is first of all, there is only one race. This the, and that's the human race. So racism becomes this process of dehumanizing. <laughs> others really right and they've attached it to the color thing and the whole slave identity and slave becoming synonymous with black people all those things were constructs you know in in america because uh and and so now when you say slave you automatically vision a black person because we've made it synonymous we have we have actually branded that you know what i mean in some strange way you know Mm mm-hmm but what we know is that whole process is to dehumanize. So we're trying to work under a system that was created very intentionally to dehumanize people. So now we're in search of humanity and we're still trying to measure it on a document with a, an overriding sort of credo of dehumanizing others um, or otherizing everybody except white. White is normal. Right. It. There, there's no racialization of white. No one says I'm white. They don't have to. But everybody else has to identify themselves <laughs> as the other. Um, there's there's an interesting piece there. I, I'd like to share with you a little story from um, uh, the Reverend Dr. John Dorhauer, who is one of my guests. And he is he is the uh, president of the United Church of Christ in America, the the national organization. He is a white gentleman. I am impressed. Uh, He received his PhD a number of years ago on the topic of white privilege. He told me of, of, of a... Um, an exercise that he did when he was when he, when he speaks in front of large groups of people, and he says he passes out these three by five cards, blank cards, and he asks everyone to to write down identifiers. If no one, if, if you needed to identify yourself in a room full of people, how 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 would I be able to identify you? So write down a little brief description or or ways in which you would be identified and separated from everybody, so whatever. So he said in uh, 25, 30 years of conducting this in front of groups of people, only one time, one time has a white person written that they were white as an identifier on this card. One time. Thousands of people over 30 years. Mm. However, everybody else, almost the first thing coming out is I'm black or I'm male or I'm, you know, Latino or I'm 
I'm brown, I'm Indian. White people don't identify. They, they have been allowed to, they don't racialize. So it is normal. Everybody else must has been otherized. You know what I mean? And so again, little experiments and little uh, things like that are very, very informative, you know, um, about the psyche and, and the, the mental pollution that, um, and white privilege. And, you know, we can go on and on and on about, you know, all the different terminology, but they all lead, you know, all roads lead to Mecca on this one. And I've, I've yet to see it go anywhere else. It all just kind of goes straight to the trash can, you know, and you're like, wow. And, and, and with the amount of, um, I just believe that our constitution or what we are made of, we're made of many, many of these, you know, many, many groups of people, again, immigrants from all over the place. And um, I think that we are far more educated and far more uh, apt and able to construct the document that truly is everybody. And I don't think it's a complex document because you start eliminating a whole lot of the doublespeak, which is the reason these new laws get written and you got laws on top of laws and it gets confusing because we're always trying to find legal cracks and exceptions for people to basically continue to be unlawful for some and then others to continue to get the book thrown at them. <laughs> you know what I mean? So there's, there's great privilege in that. Um, and, and so it becomes a complicated exercise. But if indeed we've looked at something like, you know, LGD, LGBTQ community and, and we've made it legal for uh, same-sex marriage, then a marriage clause is essentially one human being or one citizen has the right to marry another citizen. You don't have to write, uh, uh, you know, based on or have to qualify the statement. It's simple. You see what I mean? It's you don't law, not not based on you know race, gender, da, da, da. you know all the disqual all of that extra stuff is gone. You know what I mean? So you see how it starts to simplify things. So I think that it 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 takes away a lot of the clutter. Um, in, in our in, and that's just one example but when it actually applies to all think of all the exception laws that are written for special interest and exception group uh hate is hate why do we have to have an anti-asian hate hate is hate for anyone to impose or to to uh inflict harm physical mental spiritual whatever upon another individual or their belief system, my belief system should be the one that everybody abides by. Whoa, wait a minute. It's, it's fine for you to believe anything you want, but the minute it crosses over and infringes upon the rights of another, and I'm speaking as a, you know, as a clergy, member of the clergy, but I studied world religions and have great respect for uh, any and all faiths, traditions, because I'm just amazed that, you know, God's not limited to Christianity. God's the God that created all religions. You know what I mean? And so to, to dishonor that or to bias, which often Christians do, uh, unfortunately, um, is, is really wrong. And so when we can honor and understand that there are many, many languages, many, many cultures, many, many customs, many, many rituals and uh, you know, I think it's beautiful. It's a, it's, it's a wonderful uh, example of, of, uh, cause God's not monochromatic, you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, at least my thought of God, cosmos, universe, creator of all things, you know, master of, of the whole thing. I, I just believe that it's wonderful for us to be able to uh, experience and honor all the various ways that God shows up. I've always been a big fan of the, the greeting namaste. Um, the idea that I honor or I see the God in you as a greeting. Antonio, namaste. Wow, that's powerful. Someone is acknowledging 
the God in you. That's hmm, it's very powerful stuff. So anyway. Yes, I, I do value people honoring the God in each other. And I do like the point that you made that there is the divine in all um, religions. I, I heartily agree. And I think about, I see the divine in the majority of people in the world who are of inner beauty. Um, and I really like when you were uh, dis disclosing how we have segregated hate, hate to only a certain community when shouldn't we have hate crime protections for all communities? Like, I don't mind uh, people being sensitive to hate against Asians and Asian Americans. I think there's a place. But the problem is, is that we don't extend those same protections for all human beings in this world. And right. the only time we get sensitized is if it, if it keeps being shown in the media, but it shouldn't have to take that for us to go, let's use the human village and legislation to protect all human communities. Right. And sensitively as we as they're doing with Asian Asian Americans mm -hmm. absolutely and, and and you know it's always it, it freaks me out too that in 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 all you know sort of uh, 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 belief systems there there seems to be a few things in common like for instance the, the quality or, or the idea or the concept of hate, isn't that the lowest of the low with regards to humanity? Isn't love then the highest of the high, as it were? But, but hate is the absolute worst thing that we could espouse or be a part of. You realize hate crimes themselves do not pack or carry the kind of seriousness, you know what I mean? The kind of weight, right? Like life imprisonment forever and ever and ever to to when you are convicted of hate, because that's cancerous stuff. And so, I the fact that those become sort of slap on the wrist crimes, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's ridiculous. Yeah. So how can we say that we you know hold? Uh, you know, that we hold some sort of uh, moral or, you know, a Christian value system or, you know, whatever in, in America, we, we'll run to that when it's convenient. But the same Christian value system or any value system, I would just challenge, if, if we can sit up on Sunday and talk about how hate is something we should, we should endeavor to, to avoid at all costs, then why is it Monday? in a courtroom, we're trying to figure out ways to marginalize the dialogue about the most vile thing that a human being could ever possess or act on. Mm. No sense to me, no sense to me. You know, unfortunately I see hate even beyond the concept of murder because murder and death and all that sort of thing can occur and have many, many sort of circumstances. But if you were able to look and prove that that thing was a result, a direct result of hate, because it's not always hate, right? You know what I'm saying? It's not always hate. <laughs> I mean, but if you knew it was hate and that was that intention, then I don't know why that wouldn't be, uh, you know, uh, a thousand years uh, sentence or something you know the most severe you could ever come up with but i just find it interesting that we marginalize that and we marginalize it because we 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 know that it exists from because what are they saying the, the the terrorist groups in america that have been identified and the fbi has had on their watch list for a long time now not just now 
are hate groups, white supremacist hate groups. That's why those sort of crimes don't carry big, long and big, huge, severe sentences, because it would be white people thrown away forever. It would be all the folks involved in January 6th, probably. Mm-hmm. Thrown away forever. Now, what a great deterrent, because you kind of have that level of antisocial and that level of disruption, discord. Uh, you know, again, these guys were trying to take over the government. We still got fools walking around saying that Biden's not the president. and It's illegitimate. And I'm just like, how do we allow for those things under free speech to continue when we know that it's discord and there's nothing good coming from that, all that alternate reality stuff or whatever. I just, I have, Big questions about why we find that to be acceptable. Right. Uh, Because we know that it's harmful to others and it has no basis. Obviously, it went through court systems, so it's no legal thing. So why would you continue to allow it to prevail? Why is it not shut down off every social media platform and and FBI knock it on your door saying, can I talk to you? (laughs) Or just putting cuffs on you and marching you right away. I don't understand and uh, why we find that acceptable and and we tolerate it. We don't have to, you know, um, and uh, I I don't know. I I mean, I, I think our value system is is upended because we create exceptions. Right. Uh, yes. And uh, as we are uh, winding down, I just want to say that I agree that it doesn't make any sense. Like, because you do have self-defense. So right. self-defense is not necessarily hate. Sometimes that may be the only way to protect their family. And sure. Home. So the concept of murder being a crime is subjective because there's so many uh, factors that vary. And then I also like what you're talking about um, when it comes to like a person's heart. In our world, we have lost the art. It's a lost art to truly know people, to truly understand people. I mean, some people are hard to, it feels impossible because of that level of hate. But I'm talking about most people, we have lost the art of, of saying, of greeting a person, of truly wanting to know a person because we've made it uh, all about um, being judgy and being critical, but we have not taken the time to one-on-one truly know a person who they are. Instead of the typical, hey, how you doing? We do it so nonchalantly and carelessly. I see in our world, we're suffering from careless living and moral laxness. Hmm. Yeah. Well said. Well said. And so... Thank you for coming on the, thank you. And thank you for coming on the show. I would like to be on your podcast. That was okay. Yeah. I'd love for you to come and, uh, you know, check, check it, check it out. I'll send you a, a link. It's a, it's again, Bill Myers inspires. Um, I have a website, Bill Myersinspires.com, but the podcast is available. Um, kind of like that everywhere you get your podcast it is on iHeartRadio, itunes or you know apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify blah 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 blah. i can go on it's but um a good google search will get you there but certainly youtube but it is bill myers inspires is the name of it and uh i would love for you to to uh check it out and uh and 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 take a moment to to um experience these many conversations with these ex you know these these tremendous experts in these areas that are bringing it you know bringing tremendous 
information to the table. And this is not, I'm, I'm not interested in the, uh, I don't do a sort of an opinion show, you know what I mean? I thought it was necessary to get experts who knew far more than me to come on and share their knowledge and their findings. And I, I am blown away and, and humbled by their um, um, giving me the time of day, you know what I mean? To show up and share. And uh, it's, it's been awesome. So yes, I, I, I would love it if you'd, you'd come and check out the show. And um, yeah. how do I become a guest on your show? Well, you, I, I tell you what, the main thing, if you would just send me, you should send me an email, um, just send me an email back just so it's a reminder for me. And then I will work on trying to schedule that, you know, um, let me know if you have a, a, a topic that you would like to, to uh, lean into. My, uh, my topic would be like my life with autism. I would love that topic, sir. I would love that, Antonio, and would welcome that because I've not, uh, I've not had a conversation on that. And I would very much love to, to have that. I did not know you had autism until you just mentioned it. So thank you for sharing that with me. And uh, that would be an, that is a great topic. And so remind, uh, so, so listeners of, Antonio's show know this I I will have him on Bill Myers inspires and our topic will be autism um and uh I look forward to that show so I just need to get it scheduled but I look forward to having you on my show Antonio and um after all your name's Myers you can't I can't you can't lose man this is <laughs> <laughs> we might be blood relatives is that I have so many people I'm related to. Oh man, we very well could be. We very could well could be. And um, so yeah, I, I I am excited about my show on autism and and having you on. So just let me get a moment. Send me an email as a reminder, please, and then I will just get it scheduled. And th that sounds like some sort of complicated process, but it isn't. I just don't want to make a a mistake and have something double booked because then you have to apologize and I don't want to do that. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, I would love to have you on the show. So um, again, autism and uh, a good friend of mine from, from uh, church um, in, in, in my past was um, a kind of, uh, she was an advocate um, and, and um, a sort of a leader in the, the Indiana autism community. And then she wound up moving to Washington, D.C. and became involved. Her name is Susan Peoples and uh, got involved with like a White House commission on autism or something like that. So again, uh, she still lives up in the Maryland area, uh, but Susan Peoples, P-I-E-P-L-E-S. So if you ever see that name um, in any of your circles of uh, of autism uh, communities um, or, you know, um, I think she was a social worker, but I know her, she had autism, um, some sort of mild version, but I know that her child had autism also. And that was what prompted her to become active in that community. So, um, but yeah, I would love to have you on to talk about that. That would be fascinating. So thank you for the for the lead and thank you for uh, <laughs> the request because I honor that request and I look forward to having you on Bill Myers Inspires. So and it's been a joy. Thank you so much for for uh, allowing me on your show, Antonio. It's 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 an honor, sir. Uh, thank you. Thank I will definitely try to reach out to Susan Peoples and. Hopefully you can come to DC. I can meet you in person and keep in touch. And, you know, thank you for agreeing to be on the show today. Yeah. Again, my, my, my pleasure, my pleasure. Thank you for your musical geniusness and your being a, a human history book. I appreciate you.
Oh, well, thank you so much. I appreciate you. I do. And uh, I can't wait to get you on the show. So yeah, I look forward to it. So this has been a wonderful uh, conversation. I hope I didn't talk too much, uh, but I, I'll get a chance to, to, to hear you out when, when we flip the, flip the script. So <laughs> no, so. yes, you did fine. All right. Take care, Bill. Okay. You too. Have a wonderful day.